Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Pod, where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Guringai and Darug people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I would also like to acknowledge Tangata Whenua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Hello, Jen. Hi. How was your week? Mm, yeah, I can't really remember what I did, so it kind of been that exciting. How about you? Same, sort of having that fog of amnesia. Mm. I feel like I did a bunch of stuff. Probably like house stuff, cleaning and stuff. That's what I did. I Important think. things. I did read a whole book this week, though. That was really good. Nice. And I want to tell everybody you should go read Burnout by Emily and Amelia Nagoski because it is really good. And especially if you are female identifying, it is written for you. It's not even a self-help book. It's just like, this is why everything is terrible. And this is what we actually can do to fix some of the terrible. That is always a good thing to have. Pretty much acknowledges that the world is not designed for non-cis straight white men and like this is what it does to our bodies to be under that amount of constant stress and Mm. it was like being seen in the best way like yeah this is a normal thing to feel so frustrated and helpless and angry and miserable and also you're constantly trying to hold it together it was like yes okay I I am seen who's been reading my diary to write this but that's okay (laughs) well that's good it's a good recommendation thank you Mm. is that what sparked joy for you this week or does it say something else it was definitely one of the things that sparked joy for me. I had a couple. Um, so unfortunately, my brother-in-law and my sister-in-law and my niece and my father-in-law have COVID. So this morning, the kids and I got all of this stuff together and made care packages for everybody with like cookies and some chocolate for the people who like chocolate and some like cup noodles because we can't make soup and take it. So we're like taking them cup noodles and like books for them to read and some coloring stuff for my niece. And we just put together these little care packages and then like left them on their porch. So that was really good. Um, And yesterday, my son had a swimming carnival at school and he won an award Mm. for, he won the Marlin Award for being the speediest swimmer in the pool. And I love it. And he was so fast and I loved watching it. And we were there for like 10 minutes tops. Like they got us in. We watched their section of the carnival. They did the awards and then we were out and it was great. It was quite a joyful week despite the worry about my family. Nice. I love that. Good swimming. Yeah, he did a great job. What sparked joy for you this week? I think for me, it was just this morning, I decided to go to an exhibition at City Gallery here in Wellington, and I've been meaning to go for months and just haven't, like, I I think it opened in December last year, I want to say? I don't know. Anyway, it was the last weekend, and so I finally decided to just go because I didn't want to miss it, and it was just so nice to go to a gallery. Like, we've spoken before about how we just miss going to museums, and it wasn't, like, a massive exhibition. It was, like, three rooms. So, you know, it wasn't, like, you didn't get foot sore wandering through it, but it was amazing, and, like, it's these big oil-on-canvas paintings, and then Mm. there's this one room that was just the the watercolour works, and I just loved them, and everyone was, like... Because the big selling point has been these big ten paintings, these massive, massive paintings, and everyone's really, like, keen to see them, and so I was kind of, like, in this watercolour room by myself because everyone was at the big paintings, so I got Mm. to, like, really spend some time with them, and they were so beautiful. They really reminded me of, like... I don't know why, but, like, Australian landscapes, that kind of, like, you know, blue of the lakes and WA, and then the red of the sand, and just, like, this beautiful bleeding in of things, and it was just lovely it was just lovely to spend that time and kind of like fill that particular cup because it's a very particular thing so yeah yeah Yeah. it's part of um like giving something back to yourself I love going to art galleries just so that I can leave and be like oh my gosh I just took in so much like it's exhausting but in a really good way yeah I did the same thing visiting the Rembrandt when they had the Rembrandt paintings here in New South Wales I did that like the last second that you possibly could go I, I do like going to the rooms where no one else is because there's something nice and intimate about just you in a painting Yeah, I sometimes think people go to galleries, especially like I remember I went to the Picasso exhibition when it was in Melbourne years and years ago. And it felt like so many people had gone because they just felt like, oh, well, it's Picasso, we should go. And then they just, I don't know, this like, what do you, it's like people don't know what to get out of it. They don't know what to do once they're there. So there's a lot of like milling around and reading every little sign. I don't actually often read the signs on galleries. I sort of just wander around and then wait till something grabs me. I don't Mm. know. It's just interesting to think about people when they go and what they're trying to get out of it and what the experience of the gallery is. Mm. I just think that if there is an exhibition anywhere, you should be able to buy the print in the gift shop. Like for me, I want to take that home with me in a small, like a postcard is fine. 
online, but it always bothers me when I like want to see it again and I can only look at it online. Like, no, I want the tangible physical photo. Yeah, I bought some I bought some postcards today of the ones that I really liked. I bought one because I'm going to send it to you as well. <gasps> Yay! That's yeah. exciting. Woohoo! I don't have them here, but uh, I have all of the unicorn tapestry postcards. Like I bought oh, yeah. the entire set when I was when I went to see that because I was like, I love this. I need to have all of them. And I just love that you could get them in a set. <laughs> um, so this week we read chapters 71 through 79 through the theme of destruction. I was pretty destroyed. Um, <laughs> Gen V, do you have a story for us? Yeah. So as you know, I live in an earthquake prone country and a city that gets them fairly regularly. The biggest one I've experienced in my time here was the Kaikoura earthquake, which was a 7.8 magnitude earthquake in the South Island that happened just before midnight in November 2016. So it did significant damage to roads, railways and other infrastructure, but thankfully no one died. Now, considering that the epicenter of the earthquake was more than 200 kilometers away from Wellington it wasn't really like a big thing for us like you wouldn't think that would Mm. be a big one here but it did wake me up it was very loud it lasted about two minutes and it like honestly felt like forever and I hated every second of it I just do not like the earthquakes but um it also did a significant amount of damage to downtown Wellington and even now six years later there are still buildings standing empty because of the quake like especially buildings that are along the harbor that are built on reclaimed land they did Mm. not do well Mm -hmm. also the Wellington Central Library RIP and Mm. also the Reading Cinema on Courtney Place which you know my bank account still mourns because they had ten dollar tickets and it was amazing because it forced all the other cinemas did lower their prices too and now we don't have that anymore so anyway in the wake of that earthquake the building i was working in was closed because the building across the road from it was basically falling apart specifically it had this lift shaft that had been attached to the side of it and it was completely pulling away like you could see it pulling Ah. away so they were worried that it would fall on the surrounding office building so we couldn't go in until they had demolished this lift shaft anyway it was great training for covid because most of wellington realized that oh we actually need to equip our people to work from home at a moment's notice and so everyone sort of scrambled and so loads of people when COVID actually rolled in Wellingtons was like Wellingtonians were like yeah yeah we know how to do this this is fine um anyway we were probably out of the building maybe four or five weeks and when we got back we had this amazing view of the rest of the building being demolished across the road because we had this like deck so you could go sit on the deck and you could watch the big metal things just eating the building yeah that's great. I've got some great video, but it was just like very dusty. And especially because there was a sushi restaurant underneath this building that had been shut mm. for about six weeks until they demolished it. So you can imagine the smell was quite something oh, for no. a while there. Oh, gosh. I don't know. It's something mesmerizing about watching that level of destruction, like watching something just disappear in front of your eyes. Yeah. And now it's just a vacant lot being used as a car park. That often seems to be the case. Like when I've been to Christchurch, it seems like there are a lot of car parks where buildings used to be. And this just got me thinking, like often when there is a natural disaster, people talk about rebuilding. It seems like something that they just hold on to, like something terrible yeah. has happened, but that's OK. We'll rebuild, like we'll tear it down. But sometimes you can't. Sometimes the destruction is so complete that you can't do anything about it. Like if the land that you've built it on is not capable of sustaining a house or a building, then you Mm. kind of just have to let it go and make the best of whatever is left behind. And I think it's just a reminder that defaulting to what has been done before isn't necessarily always the right answer. Sometimes the destruction of things allows you to reassess and re-examine and decide if something is really still right for you. Like, is it still serving you? Like, sometimes you can fix it, but sometimes you have to walk away. And whether that's like, you know, breaking a mug that you really like and then going, I'm not going to bother replacing it. Or whether that's a relationship that's falling apart and then you go, oh, actually, that probably wasn't wasn't Mm. working. You know, like there are these moments in our lives that are just like absolute destruction and it hurts and you think you won't recover but there's also an opportunity for growth from that and I think that we have to remember it's a duality I love that so much you know my favorite tarot card is the tower Mm. which is destruction but also implied in that is the like rebirth regenerative transformative nature of destruction itself like it's not that something is being destroyed it's that it's making room for something else to come in its place yeah I think what I love about the tower card is that it's Basically, like the death card is saying you're being called to make a change and the tower Mm -hmm. is like, well, you didn't want to listen. So now change is coming for you, whether you wanted it or not, (laughs) which I think is sometimes you need that. Like sometimes you need that destruction, right, to push you. Yeah, absolutely. It can be really rough, though. It's better if you're ready for it. It's not so good if you're not ready for it. It's just harder, I think. Yeah. Thank you so much for your story, Jen. No, thank you. Always delightful to talk about these things. I too like watching buildings being chomped up by the big chompy metal eaters. I'll see if I can find the video and put it in the show notes because it's quite fun. <laughs> 
Shall I do chapter summaries? Yes, please. Okay. The humdrum visits the Grim Pitch estate, and in fighting him, Baz realizes that Simon creates the dead spots by sucking all the magic out of the atmosphere. Baz tells him to go, so Simon goes, sprouting wings and flying to pennies. Baz goes to the Numpties for answers and encounters Nicodemus. Penelope possesses a dog. Agatha decides to act. Penelope and Baz decide to save the day, and we see that Lucy was excited for her family to grow. I just hate the mage so much. Shall we just start with Lucy? Because Lucy is Lord, the best. I just, I just hate it. I hate when she says he'd been more indulgent with me since I'd agreed to this. Because it, like, he yeah. is so indifferent to her. He has not been kind to her. Yeah, he leans on her. He depends on her, but he doesn't actually treat her as an equal. And I think that she was okay with that because she wants to be with him. But you shouldn't be okay with that. Like you shouldn't have to be okay with that. You know? No, nothing, like, this is the thing with Lucy, like, nothing that she feels about Davy is something that you should be okay with. Like, she is just like, I thought, you know, he might do it without me if I didn't say yes. Mm-hmm. You know, I thought that if I was there, I could keep him from going too far. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is a child. He wants a child. He does not want a child, Lucy. He just wants the power. Like, you are just yeah. telling yourself the story. And I hate it. Like, she... I just feel for her, you know, like she deserves so much better. And there's something borderline abusive about it, but I can't put my finger on it. It's because she's walked into it and she doesn't want it to end. So she's letting it get worse, if that makes sense. It's kind of like doubling down because you've made a decision and you can't admit to yourself that the decision isn't working. Yes, I feel like that's exactly what it is. It's certainly part of it for sure. Yeah. I love her so much. I love how much she acknowledges her part in it as well. I think this is so so important there really isn't a lot of people going hey i was in this really toxic relationship and i messed up Mm -hmm. and it has caused this ripple effect but she's like i know it i see it i'm living the consequences because i'm not alive but also i need to be clear that i wanted this and this is what i wanted and this is why i wanted she isn't able to tell the people who need to hear it she's only able to tell us so we know it but like the people who need to know it don't get to know it which is just so sad the fact that the mage just doesn't own any of it, right? Like, Lucia's taking so much of this responsibility on herself. Like, she's really, mm. like, you know, wearing the consequences. She is being honest. She is standing up there and taking it all. And he is just not. Like, he casts Simon away and he just wanders around looking for a way to fix him. And he just doesn't own any of his issues. Like, he doesn't own any of his mistakes. It's just so horrible. Yeah. And he, like, he's just got this expectation that he has all the answers, I thought, in this section as well, you know, when he's like, well, other people have tried it, but they don't know what we know. Like, they're not us. It's just so gross. I hate him. He is very hateable. He's the opposite Ugh. of our Avery. Yeah. Another bad dad club member. He's the worst dad. The very worst dad. Because he didn't even show up to do dadding. He didn't even do dadding badly. He just opted out completely and then pretends that he's like this benevolent Dumbledore-esque figure. That is your child. That is your child. Oh my god. It's the last living part of your partner as well, right? Like this person who I suppose you loved maybe. I don't know. I doubt it. But you know, like you must have cared for her. He must have because he permitted her to be there, right? Like there's something about that. I think he was affectionate to her in his own way, but not Maybe he just liked the audience, though. He just needed someone to, like, listen to him when he held court. Yeah, that could be it. Hate it. Um, I looked up the etymology of destruction. Oh, yes, please. Day from un, like day means un, and struer, to build or to pile. So it literally means, like, unbuilding, mm. um, which kind of is in line with how I felt about it. I felt like when you when there is destruction, it's like something you can see. Like, there's a definite before and after. It's not like an absence. It's not like a missingness. It's not Mm. even entropy. It's like there's definitely something has been destroyed. Something has been uncreated or made irreparable, right? Like it's not, Mm. it's not savable. And I was like trying to find examples of destruction. And there is actually destroy. At one point, Simon says, you think I'm going to destroy or or something? I can destroy all of magic or like he actually says the word destroyed. I was like, ah, it's in the text. Mm. Um, yeah, I, f- I thought there was a couple of really good examples. I thought that the destruction of the magical atmosphere was a pretty important yeah. one. Like that's the main thing that's mm-hmm. happening is that they're figuring out why it happens and what happens. Figuring out why the humdrum does what the humdrum does. How the humdrum is getting its power. So all of those things are kind of brought out into the open. Like they're told to Simon and then reasoned through with Baz and Penelope. Um, and then there's also the destruction of the pretty tenuous detente that the old families and the mage have had. 
Mm. So that's come to a head because now the pitches are like, oh, this is an act of war. Yeah. War is a, a massive tool of destruction, right? Like you can't really go any further than that. That's not going to have a happy ending. It's going to destroy everything people know if there's a war. As we're seeing now, right now with, with Ukraine, yeah. right? Exactly. I think there's something in the destruction of what the humdrum does to other creatures, right? Like these creatures that yeah. he sends after Simon, the way that the humdrum just strips their essence from them. Like he basically just destroys what they are, every essence mm-hmm. of themselves. And most of the time those creatures then go to their doom because Simon will then destroy them, right? So as soon as the humdrum touches them, they suck dry of everything that makes them them and then Simon yeah. kills them. Like that's pretty brutal. It's wild that they both have the, that both Simon and the humdrum have the ability to push. Mm. And I was wondering if that links back to Lucy and the way that she describes his conception as like all of the magic inside of her concentrates into a pinprick ball of light inside of her. Like all of her magic went into Simon. Yeah. And like, I've never really noticed that before when I've read this book, but Simon mm. is 100% a magical man. Uh, he's a physical manifestation of magic, right? Like biology yeah. doesn't come into it. Like he, you know, he says even I'm made of magic. And yeah. then she says, you know, it's all my magic contracted into a ball in my pelvis. Like he is just like, he is a vessel for this magic, right? Like yeah. he was formed to hold this magic. And I think that the person around him is what grew up like around this this magic so like he's when when his magic is destroyed he's left with something but he doesn't really know what he is because he's always been so much the one thing right Mm, absolutely also i thought it was really interesting that she describes it like a star has collapsed there right simon Mm. is basically just a black hole he just sucks magic in which then if a star is collapsing the natural consequence is a black hole which is if simon is the star collapsing then you've got Mm. The These yeah, yeah, yeah. I know we haven't really talked about it, but I love the way that this magic works, right? I love that it's words, and I love that the magic comes from people who aren't magical because it creates this interdependence on, as they call them, the normals, mm. to have connection with the, the world. Like they're not like the fairies; they haven't disappeared. They still have to have connection with the world. They still they can't destroy that connection. They have to have it in order to be magic. But I just love that. Yeah, I love that it's based on language, like different, which is the implication or the expectation that there are spells that mm-hmm. are not in English that can do more or solve things that English ones can't solve or can't do, right? So there's different power like and different. Tries. Yeah, and I think that's such a cool concept. Like even though Mitali doesn't speak Hindi, right? She casts in Hindi because that she learnt it from her great grandmother. But I wonder, like, if you don't know the language, can you really cast in the language? Because it's the intent that matters as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. I think you have to know enough of what you're saying. Yeah. So interesting. I love it. And we'll see that in Wayward Son, right? Like how that affects what they can and can't do. Yeah, yeah. Their British idioms don't work. Mm. (laughs) I love it so much. It makes me so happy. I am, speaking of Mitali, I just want to talk about something. Like this expectation on the two sides of the war, right? Like, so we've got the Bajit, we've got the Pitchers, and then, you know, they all have expectations of each other. And Simon and Baz are sort of caught in between this. Like everyone, like Penny and Agatha still expect baz to be conspiring against simon and baz expects that his family will hurt simon right like that's why he tells him to run away because he's like this is not going to go well for you i would really like him to have told simon that though yeah i know because simon interprets it differently right um and you know everyone else expects that the mages put simon up to cause this mischief so it's just this whole thing but i thought Matali, when penny remarks on page 426 she thought simon was possessed or enchanted or that he'd gone full lucifer So there's an expectation that Simon is unstable and therefore could actually just flip and become evil. I think that's fascinating. Yeah, I wonder if it's because he's so different to the rest of the world of mages, like because he's this unknown quantity, this quote outsider, born of normals, allegedly, right? Like they don't really know Mm. what to make of him because nobody knows where he comes from. And his magic works so differently from theirs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is something else I noticed and I put down under destruction that Simon's ability to do magic destroys the known order. Mm. So the fact that he can think things into being, that he doesn't have to use words. And in fact, words don't work as well for him. doesn't need a wand either. Yeah, he is magic. So he can just will things into being. Like that's really unusual for everyone else. And they all don't know what to make of him because of it. And Penny will flat out say, that's impossible. What spell did you use? And she often Mm. frames it as, I really noticed it in this chapter. He used some sort of spell on himself that made him orange and yellow. And that was just him going, it's cold up here. So I think about being warm and my skin Mm. flickers with heat. Like... He hasn't used his spell. He just thought, I need to be warm, and suddenly became, like, a coal or an ember. 
Yeah, and as we've seen previously, sometimes if he says something, that just becomes a spell, even though it's not a spell that anyone mm-hmm. knows, right? Like, he's just making magic when and as he chooses. But I think his magic is also such a destructive force. Like, yeah, it destroys yeah, yeah. a lot of him. Like, when it goes off and stuff, you know, the way it burns through him is very destructive. And it gets spaz a bit too, right? On page 418, he's saying, mm. I feel burned out, incinerated. Um, There's that bit where... Simon's magic like he can't really control it and he's talking mm. about how a tree branch drags against me and catches fire he's just yeah. kindling a, a forest because he's so full of this magic it, it has nowhere to go the energy just sits within him but it's amplified when he's around the humdrum right because he says when he's fighting bears or like catching bears he says I'm made of magic right now and there's no crushing me and I really noticed that he said right now like Simon is always made of magic but when he is with the humdrum it's like it's being drawn up to his like skin right like it's yeah. sloshing over him it's this really visceral experience for him so you know that kind of void within the humdrum is really just pulling that magic yeah 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 it's like the like the magnetic putty yeah and you stick a magnet on the top and the putty just swallows it (laughs) like the humdrum is like pulling him in and covering him and swallowing up all of the good i just like to point out that you know when the old family is like the mage is controlling the humdrum maybe he is the humdrum like they're not wrong that the mage is responsible for this so yet again they're not wrong I think about the fact that this is now just when Simon is really understanding how his magic works and figuring mm. out what to do about it. Like, he needs wings. He creates wings. Like, he needs his wings to go away later. He just thinks them gone. Like, he has abandoned the idea that he needs to do magic in the way that he's been told he has to do it. Yeah. And is now coming into his own power just as he finds out that he's the greatest threat to magic. And it is so sad. I love that it's when he finally accepts that, hey, I can I don't have to make this work in the way that people want me to make it work. I could just mm. make it work in the way that it works. Like, it's such an empowering moment for him. And I really do feel for him, like, you know, when Penny and Baz are, like, getting caught up in the, the mystery yeah. solving, and he's like, are you saying I'm the humdrum? Because I'm not the humdrum. Like, he's really struggling with this, and They're I don't feel like anyone it. sees it. Yeah. 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 And later Penny's like, oh, I blew it with Simon. I tried to reason with him. And it's like, no, you just weren't listening. Like, he's very upset. He's, of course, he's going to go back to the oldest pattern that he has that will work for him, which is take it to the mage. Like, that's why he's going to the mage, because that's what he does in a crisis. But it's also because he he doesn't want to be destructive, right? Like, it's not in his nature to be destructive. He's been forced into this situation where often he is the source of destruction. But actually what Simon wants to do at all times is fix things. He wants to make sure everyone is all right. And he just wants to fix stuff. Like, even confronted with the reality of a situation, he falls back on what he thinks is expected of him. And he has a role to play. And that role is to save people. So he's like, I have to fix this. I have to yeah. fix it. Yeah, that's you're absolutely right. He does. That's... That's the expectation that he thinks he needs to uphold, is that it's his job to fix it. Mm. Whether or not he is the greatest threat to magic, he just has to fix it. Yeah. That's a lot for a kid, an 18 or 19-year-old kid, to have on his plate. Baz also kind of breaks my heart in this, like, yet again. Like, I'm sorry, but throughout this series, Baz just thinks Simon is dead a lot of the time, and it really stresses me out. Like, here he's like, oh, I thought for a minute you were dead. Oh, again. Like, honestly, Baz, chill out. Like, you always Mm. think Simon is dead. He always just expects the worst. He expects Simon to just leave him and disappoint him. He's like, of course, you know, I always knew where I stood with Simon, and it's below everyone, the rest of the world, and far, far below the mage. Like, and then he goes to the seat of trauma, like, he goes to the numpties by himself, with no plan. I have another thing about this. I'm really annoyed at Baz because I feel like, I realized for the story he had to do this, but I was like, why didn't you just say, I can't go by myself. It's going to be too scary because Simon would drop everything to go with. Mm. Do you think that he doesn't care about you because you're acting like yes, a jerk? That's exactly what he thinks though. Like with Baz, it's always one step forward, two steps back. Like I I love that moment when they're coming out of the forest before they realize that there's now a magical hole. Mm. You know, he says to Simon, you smell like something I gladly eat. Page 421. Yeah. This is so such a moment of like confession and vulnerability for Baz. Like this is an honest thing. He's kind of like giddy because he's discovered that Simon is not the hero that he had in his head, right? Like he's got this element that he didn't know. So he's allowing yeah. himself to be a bit more free. Then he turns up at Penny's and he's immediately got this front on yet again where he's like cool and indifferent. And mean. Yeah. He's mean. He's, he's not like, look, 
I think we need to talk about this. He's like, no, Simon is the cause of all the trouble. Like he immediately puts Simon on the back foot. And like he tries to like, he does the little, you know, shoulder nudge and he's like, are you okay? But it's not enough. Like Simon can't read that because they've spent seven years where Baz has just been antagonizing him, right? Like there's not yes. enough for them to stand on for that to not trigger both of them, basically. Yeah, so there's not Baz, enough, like, actual trust yet. Yeah, so, like, Baz thinks, of course Simon will not go with me. Like, he doesn't actually care about me. None of it matters. And Simon's like, well, he told me to run away because he blames me for what's happened. Yeah. Like I said, this section destroyed me. Thank you, Rainbow. You're fired. <laughs> um, I want to talk a bit about Agatha as well. Mm-hmm. She is not willing to tell her parents that, like, she and Simon have destroyed their relationship, that they're no longer together. So she's hiding that sort of destruction. She also doesn't really want to be the damsel in distress, you know? She's like, I'm going to go do something. I'm taking action. What would Lucy do? And we, of course, know what Lucy would do, which was kind of let terrible things happen because you love the people you love. She has a different idea about who Lucy is. And this has always been something that really sticks out to me because I feel like I'm a pretty good judge of character, but I've definitely had that moment in my life where I've like idolized certain people or really admired them only to find out that they're like a dumpster fire of a person or that they actually aren't the person I thought they were and like she I don't know that Agatha will ever get this maybe she'll figure it out someday but like she does idealize this this person who she thinks Lucy is without really understanding who she actually is and bases a lot of her actions on that and it's like she's just substituted one hero or one ideal for another without actually like getting to the part where she needs to get to, which is like, what are you doing for yourself? What are you doing for you? It's just projection, right? Like you are putting mm. what you need and what you want to see on someone else because that's what you need and you're not getting it anywhere else. So she has made Lucy this like what she wants is to escape from magic and to yeah. run away. So she's decided that's what Lucy did, right? Like and she's yeah. got enough evidence to support that but she doesn't know yeah. the context right and I think this is where often parasocial relationships just fall completely by the wayside mm -hmm. is when you idolize someone and you decide that they're one thing yeah and then you find that they're not and it's like it's devastating you're like but I thought yeah. I knew you and I thought this is like especially with celebrities like this is why people fall out with celebrities all the time it's because like yeah. oh this person is not who I thought I, they were and I'm like yeah of course not you know you know nothing about them you don't know them exactly yeah yeah and there's, mm. there's a difference between like your private life being your private life and like actively undermining marginalized groups right like there there's a line you know there yeah 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 just so we're clear like you, you you can't use your voice and your platform to actively undermine the lives of minorities that's just not cool and never acceptable no matter who you are or how much money you've made it's just yeah, not allowed. no definitely um, <laughs> But it's weird to me that Agatha's basically decided that this long time ago influencer is going to write her goals for her. And I'm just like, I really love that we do get to see, eventually we get to see Agatha destroying all of that in favor of being who she is. But she's just trading one for the other. So I don't really think it's really destruction yet, although she's changing her behavior. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's a, a step, right? But I honestly do think that Agatha just doesn't have support, right? Her parents, for me, are just, like, so absent. She doesn't really have yeah. anyone to support her or help her through this, like, period of discovery, right? She's yeah. kind of isolated at school. She doesn't feel like she can talk to her normal friends about anything. Like, she can't be honest about her whole self. Like, she's always mm. compartmentalizing. She literally can't. Her dad spelled yeah. it quiet. It's weird. And I, I also wonder, like, she doesn't have that thing where, like, you make the best of a bad situation. She just didn't make any other friends. It's like she doesn't want to, right? Like, I don't know. Maybe she's a bit depressed, poor Agatha. She might be. But I honestly think that Simon's right. She's just a bit snobby. Yeah. She's oh, absolutely. She's very, very particular about her friends. And she also has really clear ideas on what they should or shouldn't do. And, like, Penny's much better because she's just like, you're friend-shaped. I've kept you. Like, she doesn't care. And she'll just barrel on. And, like, as Agatha said, and it was a section or two ago, you can't be rude to her. She just doesn't notice it. I love mm. that about Penny because she just is like, no, we're friends. I'm going to keep you. And sometimes this does not work out for her. I will I will admit that. But I do think that Agatha is much like less approachable in some ways and like kind of enjoys that unapproachability. Well, it's part of her mystique, right? Like as this kind yeah. of golden, untouchable woman. But also that's not what she wants to be. She doesn't want to be the princess and yet she's in this archetype, right? But yeah. she's also disdainful, I think, of people at Watford because she doesn't want to be part of... Like, she resents the magic. So she doesn't mm -hmm. want to be friends with magicians because she's like... Or mages, rather. Because she's like, I don't want this to be my life. Yeah, which is just crazy to me. But I think it must be like a natural response to being kidnapped and held for ransom and all the other things that have happened to her as a consequence of being part of Simon's life. 
which I kind of love the juxtaposition with Baz and the way he reacts after they see off the humdrum. Like Simon is kind of expecting him to be in that same space that Agatha was when she was used mm. against him. And Baz is just like, ha, this is lols. And also, of course, I'm being used against you. Like he just expects that because that's his entire life so far, right? Has been that yeah. role. Everybody is using Baz against Simon and Simon against Baz. Yeah. Just fascinates mm. me. I love these little moments. You're right. I hadn't drawn that comparison, but we do find out in the last in the last week I think we read that Agatha usually only goes on a full rant when it's been like she's been trapped down a well yeah. or yeah, so it's it's interesting that afterward Baz isn't upset. He's just taking care of Simon, whereas Simon's always the one who's taking care of everybody and Penny has to kind of sticky tape him back together and Agatha yells about it. Like, okay, you have a right to be upset, but like everybody's had some trauma it'll be exactly the last section when they were in the car right so agatha and penny are yelling at each other and simon's just sitting there that's what i imagine all of their previous <laughs> adventures were like like agatha is really upset because she's been put in this compromising position and mm. it's only ever with simon and penny and if they just minded their own business this wouldn't yep. have happened and blah blah yep. blah i can see it like i can see it i love a good rant myself i can see the whole thing and yeah. so for simon to be in this position where all Baz cares about is like, are you all right? Like he asks it twice, right? And then he you like know. comforts Simon. Like hugs him and lets him do that face and chest thing. I just see so much proprioceptive need here. He just needs to be crushed and squished and held. Baz is doing it. No gentle touches for him. Yeah, he hasn't figured that out yet though. I knew it. I was saying it like week two when he was bashing into stuff. And you're like, so destructive. And I'm like, no, he needs to be hugged really hard. Like, I get it. I'm not saying the two <laughs> things can't both be true. Like, I totally agree that he needs a weighted yeah. blanket. But I also think that he has issues. <laughs> yeah, you're not wrong. I think we're both right. Um, can we talk about Baz and the Numpties? Because mm. that section made me very sad. Yeah. He goes back to the, as you said, the seat of his trauma. And has to deal with this alone. And nearly gets crushed to death. And also gets some really terrible news. And then Nicodemus shows up and kind of saves him, but is only willing to do the right thing after something drastic has happened to his twin sister. So we have all of these different elements coming together. But I think the biggest destruction we see is that Baz actually has to confront the fact that the mage is a bad guy. I think it's so fascinating he says that I always thought it was him, but I never thought it was him, you know? like yeah. he, It's like you grow up knowing someone is bad, but then you're like, oh, no, they're actually genuinely evil. Like, it's not just what I thought. And then Nicodemus is like, well, for what it's like, if it makes it any better, I don't think he meant for your mum to die. Like, that's not, why would that make a difference? You because know? it wasn't the point, but th the fact that it was like incidental but acceptable is almost worse. Yeah. And then like, oh, and it was actually worked out for the better because, you know, then he had less resistance. It's just, oh, it's so horrible. Like, I kind of like the parallel between Nicodemus and Fiona both coming to save Baz from the Numpties. I like that there's yeah. that yeah. joint between them. And I like that Nicodemus does have at least some loyalty to his family. Like the fact that he is willing to go, well, all bets are off. I'm going to save Ed. But yes, in an ideal world, he wouldn't have needed that to happen to do the right thing. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. people are self-serving, right? And I think Baz is not surprised by that because he's surrounded by people like that all the time who only do yeah. the self-serving thing. Yeah, he's like 100% stuck in the Slytherin world, right? Like it's all political. It's all a game. He has to engage in it he has to figure out how things go and this is why he knew to send simon away right simon doesn't live in the political sphere he doesn't understand it politically he just feels and is like he just exists and doesn't think about consequences because mm. he doesn't think if he can avoid it he just tries to do the right thing he's very instinctual whereas baz is considering everything from like what will the flow and effect be what will happen how do i protect you in this moment what's the most effective thing i can do and say at this point but he completely doesn't with the numpties right because there's nothing thought through about this decision like he just storms like like he doesn't really have a plan going in there you know should have gone in with the space heater or something that you could have deployed as a distraction um i love that nicodemus uses the guardian to put them to sleep mm. and i love that he was like of course that's how you get rid of numpties why didn't you do that nicodemus has so much to give in terms of like magical knowledge but he's not able to his link with that community has been destroyed and it is so sad because all of the things he has to offer are gone and the same with Eb, right like she's been tucked away at watford everything she could have taught any of the kids was just left to wither on the vine yeah i think neglect is a form of destruction too i think yeah and the mage is really guilty of that kind of destruction right like he just if he doesn't see value in something he just neglects it 
And then yeah. they lose a lot. As a society, they lose a lot under his reign because he just dismisses things that he thinks is frivolous. And there's power in that that he doesn't understand. Like other previous headmasters understood because they took the time to get to know, you know, Watford and the rituals and all these things. And he's just like, meh. I just mm. feel like it's such bad short-sighted management because even, even an extremely savvy, power-hungry person would know that you get to know all of your students so you can gauge who's going to be useful to you or not, right? Like he's mm. just even bad at getting power and keeping it. He has one way of doing it and he isn't doing it particularly well. No, and it's interesting because he was so obsessed with like the oracles of Watford, right? And like, oh, mm. this didn't get to survive because no one valued it and there were budget cuts. But then he just, he just perpetuates the same trail of destruction. I really, I just, I felt so bad for Baz in that because it was like everything he knew was being torn down around him. This expectation that the good people are actually good and like he was always able to see that there are good people with bad policies and bad people with reasonable policies. Like he's kind of able to live in those gray spaces, but this is just like a confirmation that he didn't really want to have come true, right? Hmm. Because it's also bigger, right? Like he, he finds yeah. out the major's, major's responsible. What is he supposed to do with that? He is just like an 18 year old kid right like it just makes it so much harder for him to complete this mission that he thinks he has to do which is you know avenge his mum yeah and of course that's the most important thing because like like simon needing to go to the mage like of course baz is like no we have to fulfill the original thing we have to stick to the plan we made and they're both trying to get the other one to be with them and help them but it's just they're not communicating and i think baz is also like I have to stay on this mission and you have to help me because that's the only way we get to spend more time together. Like if you, if you don't do it, then that's it. Like I won't have what I have with you. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, them needing to communicate is 99% of this entire series. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm just thinking about Wayward Son. I'm not going to, I'm not going to cope when we actually do the close reading, Jen. Honestly, like it drives me insane. I, I actually go completely unhinged. Like I'm feral for that book. We'll get to that. I'm excited. I think there's a lot about what the mage is willing to destroy in order to be in power. Mm. There's definitely something there. He's like literally willing to destroy the sanctity of the school, yeah. which is a huge deal to me. And he'll kill anything that doesn't agree with him. Yeah. And that is a huge problem. That really struck me this time is that he was like, I don't care. You can come in. You can give everyone a good scare just to get what I want. Like, at what point is that ever supposed to be okay? It's not okay. Also, Lucy was destroyed in this ritual. Yeah. And, uh... You know, he had a child, a child, a whole entire person. And like, once you have a person, you need to look after them. That's your job as a parent to either look after them or find someone else who can do a good job. You had one job mage and he he just didn't do it. Oh my gosh. And this whole thing is like destruction, right? Like he's trying to destroy the world of mages as it currently existed in his time. Like he didn't agree yeah. with it. So he wanted to dismantle it, every part of it, to the point where he was like, I will create the greatest mage. And he's like to fight what I already see as the biggest threat of magic. But then he also fabricates the, like he creates the threat to magic, right? Like by sending the vampires and he wants to galvanize everyone against this threat that he has orchestrated. And then in the process, he creates this uncontrollable force. It's just... The whole thing is terrible. It's just terrible on every level. Yeah. But, Ugh. He's the worst, Jen. He really is. see, Davy. Um, I just want to give a little bit of a nod of destruction as well to poor Pitch Manor. You know, the yeah. seat of familial magic that is the grandest estate in magic, right? Been there for centuries and it's just gone. But, you know, I, I love that, that analogy that for, um, Baz uses about ecology, right? Like, if you raise the mm. forest, then, you know, it doesn't just spring back. But it will, though. Like, forests will grow back eventually. The ecosystem yeah. does recover if you leave it alone. So, you know, these holes will eventually fill back up. So there is hope. Yeah, I think they just need more normals there. So they need to, like, rent the house out for a couple of dozen years to, like, refill the magical atmosphere there. Right. Hmm. Just Weddings. in general, I think like you know how we fix the hole in the ozone layer. Like eventually, yeah. it just goes. So you just it need to give it time. Itself up. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it'll heal. It's a big hole, so it'll take a while, but it'll heal eventually. I think they were both right when they were talking about what does a hole want, and Simon says to be filled, and Baz says to grow. No, everything wants to grow, and I like I agree with both of them. I think it speaks to their 
own needs right like Mm -hmm. Baz is so repressed and he's so like forced into this role that he has to play like all he wants is to grow out of that and to like grow into who he is as a person right like not to be defined by being a vampire or by being a pitch by being who he is and then Simon just he's desperate to be loved he's desperate for to be seen and for validation like he needs to be filled right like I think that's why like there is something about this kind of like inner child element to the humdrum too you know on page 413 he looks up at me and grins like i should be proud of him like that is straight up like he's wants validation and connection with you like the two of you are you're the two sides of the same coin you're yin and yang you're yeah and like can you imagine your most vulnerable miserable self being created and then you like following you around as your own personal villain Mm. that just sounds like something straight up horror movie the worst bit of it is, and I they don't they never really understand this. Like I don't think we we ever get to a point where they get this. It's not Simon's fault that the humdrum exists. Like he didn't create him. He was created in the act of the fact that Davy did this dumb ritual, right? Like Yeah. And Simon just wears this for his whole life, thinking that all of this destruction happened because of him. And it's like it's got nothing to do with you. And then Penny says he doesn't. steals magic. It's not it was given to him. Someone made him that way. And because, like, obviously Lucy's not around and then Davy, just Simon never knows. He never knows. And it, it hurts me. Yeah, me too. That's part of my in-depth this week was talking about Lucy. There's so much about her entire story that rips me apart. But the fact that she wanted a baby and she wanted this child, specifically this child, not just for herself. She also wanted Davy's child is that like I get that I get that completely like I remember when I was trying to get pregnant and like the thought of who I would get to know someday and like the fact that it would be me and my husband like we would both be contributing to this that was so magical to me the first thing you do when a baby is born is you try and figure out who it looks like and like you know I mean we hadn't even named her yet and we were already like oh she has my mouth and she has my fingernails and like look she's got this shape of face and I was getting my baby pictures out and like Simon's baby pictures out like you do this when you have a kid like this is part of it and I'm just so brokenhearted that Lucy never got the opportunity to dote on this baby the way that she wanted to because I know what that wanting is like like it is so unfair that she was destroyed and that that connection was severed before it could be made it makes me so angry and so unhappy do you think you know, there's probably no way that Lucy would have been able to survive this, right? Because her very essence has been used to create this yeah. child. Do you think the mage would have done it if he'd known that she wouldn't survive it? Yeah. Yeah, me too. I kind of wonder if he didn't already know it, and that's why he wasn't being so indulgent. Like how you give a prisoner on death row their favorite meal. Oh, that makes me want to throw up. Me too. And I just thought of it, and now I hate myself for thinking of it. Well, I did say that I thought he killed her, so this kind of lines up with it. Yeah, so here I am coming away from the generous reading of, oh, of course he wouldn't, to like, maybe he knew. <laughs> oh, I th- Well, we'll find out, because we actually get some of his perspective in the next section, don't we? A little bit? Yeah, but he's fully off the crazy train. Um, well, did you have any tangential marginalia? Yes, a couple. So firstly, page 416. I love when Simon asks Baz what he wants when he's like, you know, in this fugue state after the humdrum is encountered. Mm. And he says, for you, you know, I'm hungry for you, for magic, for blood, for magic, for everything. I just love that for Baz, like, Simon is just so tied up into everything he wants, right? It's essential. It's just too much for me. My favorite part on page 416 is when he turns into Edward Cullen and, like, rips a tree up and tosses it around. I was like, okay, Edward. (laughs) Very, Very Twilight there. I don't know why. I was like, that's such an Edward Cullen thing to do. A little bit of um, destruction. And it's unusual for Baz, right? He never really indulges his strength. Like, he always is always, always holding back. But here he's just been distilled to his very basic mm-hmm. need and essence. And Simon doesn't run away from him, which I just love. Like, he walks towards him. He's like, no, I know who you are, really. Like, yeah. I love mm. it. Like, he's so willing to just turn up and do what needs to be done. Yeah. Um, I think that my favorite moment is where Penelope threatens to destroy Baz and his entire oh. family if he lays yeah. a hand on Simon. It's on page 432. She says, if you make a single move towards Simon, even a gesture in my house, I will slaughter your whole family, Basilton. I will kill them so hard they won't even be able to find the veil. I just love her so much. I don't doubt that she's capable. She really could. I 100% believe her, and I think Baz does as well, especially when she possesses the dog and he's like, this is not legal. But Penny does not care. <laughs> 
She actually does not care about legal boundaries if she needs to get something done. She is a Ravenclaw through and she's through. She's like, going to say that. Peak Ravenclaw behavior. Yep. She's like, consequences, who cares? I found the best way through. Yeah. This is what I can do. So, of course, I'm going to do it. Like, okay. It just cracks me up when she's like so weirded out about the dog. She's like, I wouldn't have to do this if you weren't so cagey about your mobile number. And also, she's like, I'm a dog. That's never happened before. But also, they just steal this dog. I really feel for this owner who's just lost his dog. I know. And it's such a cute dog, too. Little cross-eyed calves. I love calves. It's got a dumb name, though. Della. <laughs> oh, too funny. Um. Oh, I think the other thing I really loved was I love that Baz won't let Nicodemus into Watford. Even though he's mm. not really the kind of person who can pose a threat. He can't do magic and he can't bite anyone. He's like, I'm not letting you in, even though you're not a threat. Like, there's no way I'm going to do that. Like, he really won't destroy that last tenet of his self-belief that vampires don't belong there. Even though he attends and belongs there. And his mother was a headmaster. Like, he still holds on to that. Like, vampires do not belong. Not even me. I should be killed. Also, mm. you can't come in. Like, he's very specific about it. Yeah. I kind of wonder if he actually been able to if Nicodemus had been there if Eb might have been saved but I don't know because their magic was so similar well he, they get there too late right yeah everything is just too late <sighs> oh I love it when Baz says everything makes me want to kiss you haven't you worked that out yet see he's so like chill in that section he's like actually just giddy and vulnerable and saying what he genuinely means and then he just shuts down again it's so frustrating it's that he's always he's pulling this mask on drunk on simon's magic right that yeah. happened when they were doing the star thing too and also because simon is on the back foot like simon is vulnerable too in that moment and that allows him like if simon is not meeting him where he is he finds it incredibly difficult to let those defenses go right although in the section where he's talking about the holes, he always calls him Simon. In that entire section, he calls him Simon. Oh, I didn't notice that. I'm glad that you were on Simon Watch. Yeah, I'm always circling them. I'm obsessed <laughs> with it. And Simon doesn't notice, do which drives me nuts. Like, Simon's always like, you don't oh. call me Simon, you only call me Snow. I'm like, he actually calls you Simon a lot. You just don't notice. Anyway, yeah. that's fine. It's he's fine. very upset. He feels like he's on the... He feels like... Baz doesn't love him or care about him or like he never is sure that Baz loves him. I know, which is wild because like because we know Baz is in a monologue. It's like this there's nothing you can't do to, to like you can't drive him away. He's obsessed with you. Like there is nothing yeah. you can do that will make him not love you. But there's literally no assurance of that anywhere. Like Simon has never had that assurance to destroy the foundational belief that he has that he's unlovable and unwanted will take more than Baz snogging him for a few nights. You know. But Baz also can't be honest about it because Baz fundamentally also doesn't believe that he's lovable because he's like, Simon can't want me. I'm the villain. I'm the vampire. Like it's fine for now because I'm here. They don't believe in the love they have for each other. They never do. And then this turns into what happens <laughs> Look, I think I'm going to have to go destroy something because I'm having a lot of feelings right now and I don't like them. Ugh. Honestly, I need a paper bag to breathe into. It's going to be so good when we get there. It's just going to be months of us yelling. I can't wait. I really love Wayward Son. I just think it's such a good representation of like trauma and negative self-talk and like mm. all these things that we do, like how we were, own we're our own biggest enemies, right? Like it's... yeah. The most important battle you have to fight is with yourself, like learning to love yourself. Yeah. And that doesn't mean that other people won't love you. Like, I don't really believe in that you have to love yourself because other people can love you. I don't think that's true. But you have to learn to love yourself. The love of other people will not be enough to sustain you if you cannot no. learn to love yourself. It's kind of like a blueprint, right? Like, if something happens and you feel like you're unlovable for whatever reasons, or you don't get that assurance and in your childhood there's this real there's this real movement in parenting where it's like it's called attachment parenting and the whole idea behind it is that good attachment parenting is good detachment parenting and it's that you're there so much for your kids and you love them so unconditionally they feel confident in themselves because they know that they have that foundation and then they can build on that and like baz knows who he is in terms of like family and heritage and he had that unconditional love from his mother but she was also a bigot and so he feels like now that he's part of that group that she was bigoted against he's unlovable and his dad isn't particularly demonstrative and never says I love you and of course we would never have killed you for being a vampire like that's obviously not your fault and now we have Simon who's never experienced any of this unconditional parental love or even connection with other human beings because he was so ostracized as a child for being the weird magical one he doesn't know what to do with it 
he's never experienced it and I just it's I'm gonna yell about it forever I'm gonna yell about yeah. it yeah and like Simon being so overcome with his emotions as well like mm. mm-hmm. you know he do- literally doesn't know how to cope he doesn't know what to do with it he, he doesn't know where it goes he just pulls Ugh. his hair out yeah walks into All walls the time. yep bashes into things um did you have in-depth marginalia my dear I did. So my in-depth marginalia is just after they've discovered that Pitch Manor is now a dead spot and Simon has fled to the road. So he's like panicky and he's not sure how to get away and he's not wearing shoes and like he's trying to remember what he can do and he's remembering how he got away when him and Penny were stuck last time, right? So it's page 424. It says, I can do this, I think. I've done this before. I just have to want it. I just have to need it in terms of themes is a Simon's expectation of how he can work his magic now like he has decided that he doesn't need a wand he doesn't need to do it the way that it needs to be done he can just think it and it'll happen yeah and he knows it works because he's been there before right and also it's this destruction of his belief in his own abilities because he's had all this negative self-talk about how he's rubbish at magic and how he can't control it but it's the way that he was trying to do it right so it's a destruction yeah. of his knowledge of magic and this he's embracing this new way of doing things i wanted to highlight this section because in terms of my own life this is legit the only way i get things done the only mm-hmm. way i can get up and do things and get through any sort of situation in my life is by going i've done this before mm-hmm. like i just like you've done this before it's fine like you can do this thing you've done it before like any time where i'm stressed or if i'm feeling like overwhelmed or angry yeah. or sad or any kind of emotion i'm like you've been here before it's fine and i always have this like little narrative going in my yeah. head that gets me through it so I just wanted to highlight that because going forward, I think it's important to remember that you've managed to get through a lot to get to where you are today. And yeah. it's good to recognize that and to like acknowledge how far you've come and you're amazing and you should celebrate it. And I don't think our goal in life should be to be happy all the time because it's not possible to maintain that. But it's much ha- healthier to accept, I think, that things are going to be sometimes like maybe not amazing or hard or like boring. But it's okay because you've been here before and you've made it through and happiness is just around the corner. It will come and it will be worth it. You just have to want it and it'll be there for you. Oh, I love that. I love that so much. And if it's, if you want it and it's not happening, then it's okay to get help. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, totally. Totally. This is more like mundane stuff because, like, yeah. I really, I think a lot of people in this pandemic world we live in, it's just like life is hard. Like, life is hard all the time. Yeah. Like, sometimes just do, going to work is hard because why are we doing it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, the Arctic is melting and very, very hot. And, like, apparently in 2035, we'll have a mass extinction event. So, why should I go to work? Is this where I want to be? Is this how I want to spend my last glorious 10 years on this planet? No. Yeah. And yet, here we are. So, if you get into that kind of existential nightmare, it's important, I think, to just pause and go, no, everything is might feel terrible right now but you know it's been terrible before and here you are you you are living despite it all and look i feel like we don't give enough credit to the things that have happened to reverse some of that major damage Mm -hmm. that we've done to the world like after silent spring was published so many things were enacted and so many ecosystems bounced back because the pesticide use was you know just absolutely slashed like that was a huge good thing we did and like people are learning more we're making cars more and more efficient even though we're still driving cars these good things are happening i feel that it's really easy to get into this like cycle of everything's terrible everything is terrible mm-hmm. but like it's okay to start looking for the good news stories and to really relish and treasure those because that yeah. hope is important it's important also to remember like i i joking like i'm a nihilist so i'm always joking about these <laughs> horrible things but this idea that you know there was an article that said if nothing changes by 2035 then there will be a mass extinction event but the key part here is to say if nothing changes and we won't continue the way we are now even though it feels that way like it feels like there's no political will and all these things things do change and like we did close the hole in the ozone layer so you know things can happen like that doesn't mean that just because people are predicting these horrible doomsday events that they will necessarily happen like of course we all have to do our bit but it's all right to have hope it's a good thing to have hope yeah Oh, I love that, Jen. Thank you. Uh, what was your in-depth marginalia? So mine is the very last bit of our section of reading this week when Lucy and Davy are performing the ritual to create the greatest mage. It's happening at Watford. It doesn't really seem that comfortable, but Lucy is happy that Davy is happy and she's excited about the prospect of the child. And she's talking about the actual moment of conception. It's on page 459. She says, And I knew, oh, I knew, the moment it happened, that magic and luck were on our side. So the way that it relates to our themes, 
Lucy has the benefit of hindsight here, but she's not really clouded by it. Like, she's not overwhelmed by a feeling of nostalgia. She was literally destroyed by this ritual. Like, it kills her to bear this child, but she wanted this child, and she chose her path, and she's owning that. Like, she's saying, I did this, and this is what happened. Now, she can't really voice her regrets to anybody but us, like the people who are reading this story. She, she can't tell it to the people she wants to tell it to, and all of the love that she felt for this unborn child, and all of that hope, and all the good feeling, and communion, and care, they're, like, unrealized. She can't pass that on to Simon Snow. She wanted the baby, but Davy wanted the mage, and they both needed mm. each other to make it happen, but because Lucy didn't get to see it through, like, it didn't actually realize the way that it should. So, like, the idea of what they both wanted was destroyed because it wasn't complete, mm. because Lucy didn't survive it. And I just, this really stuck out to me because it was not luck and magic on her side. Like, this literally destroys her, but she really believes that it's going to be so good. And look, I often feel things before I articulate them. And Lucy is doing the same thing. Like, she's so hopeful that she's casting this as a, a perfectly exciting, wonderful thing. Like, she is framing mm. this to be something she believes is going to be great. And I just want to remember that. I often misjudge things because I tend to be optimistic. Like, I almost set myself up for a deeper fall because I'm like, no, no, this will be good. This will be fine. I'm sure it's going to be even better. And then it, like, really falls apart. But I've, like, walked up the hill a little more and then everything collapsed. So it's, like, a harder mm. distance to fall. But I actually kind of believe that, like, luck and magic are on my side. And I can't really abandon that belief. So I just want to remember that. I just want to remember that, like, even when really terrible things happen, like, the belief that good things are possible is not foolish, even if it does seem foolish i just want to keep holding on to that and i just want to be really grateful also that i'm really i'm still here to voice it i love that i love that our two things are actually really nicely dovetailed yeah, there they did didn't they it was kind yeah. of perfect like when things are hard you know when your hope fails you remember that you've done this before and you've gotten Ooh. through it and don't stop hoping don't stop believing in good things don't stop believing in luck and magic because that's what yeah. makes life worth living what is that mary oliver thing like what are you going to do with your one precious life yeah, one wild and precious life. Yeah. Mm, lovely. Thank you. I love that we are polar opposites. <laughs> Someone will die of fun. <laughs> I love that. I love that for us. We're the best. Balance. Important. Exactly. We're the ecosystem. Mm. <laughs> Did you have a character you wanted to spotlight this week? I do. So I was tossing up between Baz and Simon because I really feel for both of them. Mm -hmm. But I've gone with Simon because everything he knows about himself is starting to fracture here. Like this mm -hmm. is the, the beginning of the end for him, right? Like he is learning that he is the cause of these holes, even though he's not really. He's like finally figuring out how his magic works, but it's his magic is causing this destruction. He yeah. It feels like he's alone. Like Penny wants to run away and she can't see that that's no good. And like Baz doesn't want to go with him to the mage. And he just is on his own trying to fix these problems because he has to fix the problem. And like, I just hate what's coming. And I just know, you know, it's just going to destroy him. And because of everything that he's been taught in this time that he's found this world, like since he's found magic and what it means to him and for that to be so intrinsic to his destruction, is just really, really hard. And I just, really feel for him it's a lot truly truly is oh anyway who do you want to spotlight i don't think it's a surprise that this week i really want to spotlight lucy I know what it's like to want something so bad that you're willing to risk your body and your heart for it. I know what it's like to really, really, really want a kid, to want a baby, to want to make something with the person that you love that you can then raise and grow. It just really hit me hard this week. I know what it's like to feel like you're lucky. And I, I just, I live that every day that I am so lucky and I really love my life and I love that I got to do these things. But I just wish she had gotten to live because she deserved the world. She deserved to have the life that Agatha envisioned for her, her and this little baby somewhere far away from the mage. That's what she deserved. Yeah, and think what Simon would be if he could have had that, oh. you know, if he could have had Lucy, who loved him. He would have really been the greatest mage, wouldn't he have been? Mm. He would have always had somebody who understood him and cared about him and, like, poured all that love into him. Because she would have. But no. Instead, Davy had to ruin everything. Yeah, well... Next week, we'll be reading chapters 80 through 86 on the theme of meaning, and we'll be wrapping up the book, which means we get to put the final nail in the coffin for Davy. Yes, and we will be, no doubt, wailing and gnashing our teeth and <laughs> all of those fun things, rending our garments. The last section of any Rainbow Rowell book is always like the hair shirt section where we're like, why did we do this to ourselves? Now we suffer. <laughs> the thing I've noticed with doing these close readings and like spending time with texts and treating them as sacred mm. is just like how quickly books wrap up. 
Like every yeah. time I'm always surprised. I'm like, wow, everything just comes together in the last few chapters and then it's done. It's just like always feels way too quick. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. It does feel really quick. Like, at least with Lord of the Rings, you have, like, a nice, like, meandering at the end where they go back to the Shire and, sure, they have some things to do. Yeah. (laughs) So good. But, you know, like, it has a nice, like, meandering ending, which I quite enjoy. I think more books need, like, a nice couple of chapters to just, like, chill instead of just being, like, action, action, we're done. Good day. Yeah, Mm. I I quite like it when there's a climax and then, like, another, like, wrap-up. Like, I think it's good to have that, like plateauing down rather than like like you go up the hill but then you don't go careening but i'm not yeah not to the extent of like the iliad though like i don't need an entire sea voyage and a whole new book before everything wraps up (laughs) i still need to read the iliad i don't know if emily wilson's translation is out yet but it's on my list Mm. well thank you so much what a week yeah thank you i really love doing this reading with you and i love spending time with you it's always so good thank you jen great saturday yet again (laughs) i know perfect best way to spend it well i'll see you next week yeah see you then bye bye thanks for joining us today marginalia pod is written edited and produced by jen d and jen v with additional editing and production support by simon b if you enjoyed our chat you can subscribe to marginalia pod on your podcast platform of your choice your support means the world to us we'd love to hear from you you can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com our music is by scott buckley for extended show notes or to find out more about us visit us at www.marginaliapod.com